following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. God, we need your help this morning. Um, everyone's asleep, and so uh, we need you to wake us up, and we need your word to enter into our hearts so that it would convict us and change us. We, um, at this church, trust that your word is living and active, that we don't need to bring it alive because it is alive. And so I pray this morning, rather, that we would be receptive to hear your word and to embrace it and to believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, We're actually at week 11 of our 20-week series in the book of uh, John, and what we tend to do uh, week to week here is just preach through verse by verse through the text, and so that's why it's taking us 20 weeks to go through 12 chapters. Um, We'll finish the rest of the book up to chapter 21 next year, starting in uh, February 2015. Um, But we're making our way through to chapter 12, which is really sort of the hinge of the whole book, and we'll be doing that for a further nine weeks, including through the Easter period, and we'll talk to you a little bit more about that later on. But the question we're asking through this series, and it's become the title of the series, is who is Jesus? And the reason we're asking that question, the reason that's the theme for the whole series, is because that's the question John wants us to ask as we read his gospel. He's written it in such a way that he he wants to prompt us to ask continually throughout the book, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And he says as much himself in chapter 20, verse 30, he says, uh, you know, Jesus did many other signs than the ones that I've recorded here. They're the miracles that Jesus did, that John saw as signs to point to the reality of who he was. Jesus did more than what I've written down, but these have been written down so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. That's the whole reason for the book. And so it's appropriate for us to ask the question every week, who is Jesus? Who is John telling us that Jesus is? What does his testimony, his eyewitness account, tell us about who this man is? Remember, John was one of uh, Jesus' three best friends. With him, even in the most intimate times of his life, and he's recorded these things so that we might believe with him that Jesus is God. Nothing less. And he says as much in the first chapter, where he says that in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we saw last week, in the passage last week, that Peter, kind of the leader of Jesus' disciples, stepped up to the plate and himself testified to the truth, where he said, Uh, Jesus turned to his disciples as many walked away from him. Many turned away because his teaching was too hard. He wasn't what they thought he was. And he turns to his 12 disciples and says, are you going too? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to turn to? What other truth are we going to embrace? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And so John and Peter and this church have all come to understand that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. Now, the cool thing about our church is that every week I know there are people here who haven't yet come to that understanding. 
they haven't yet come to that belief. They're here because they're wondering about who Jesus is. And so that's why this is a really good place to be this morning, if that's you, because we're asking the question, just like you are, who is Jesus? And so this morning we're going to see five different opinions in this text about who Jesus is. Five very different opinions, different from one another and different from the opinion of John and Peter and our church. Opinions that uh, put Jesus in a, in, a, in a pigeonhole, in a category, something other than what he says he is, God in human flesh. These are five opinions that were held, obviously, at the time, recorded for us in this account, and they are opinions that exist today. If you're going to go out and survey Caroline Springs, you would find these five opinions out there. So very applicable for us. If you're someone here this morning who's thinking about this, wondering about who Jesus is, I hope that you'll be able to see some of the things you're thinking about in this text. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're wanting to reach out to co-workers, friends, family, then you might learn something about where they might be in terms of their opinion about who Jesus is. So we're just going to dive straight in. Um, if you have a Bible in front of you, we're at John chapter 7. There should be a, a hardback black Bible if you want to grab it. And uh, if you're here this morning and you don't own a Bible, then take that with you, okay? That's our gift to you this morning. So John, Matthew, Mark, Luke... John chapter 7, and uh, we'll pick it up at verse 1 and 2. John records this. After this, that's after uh, what we talked about last week about Jesus um, feeding the 20,000 plus 5,000 men, 25,000 people probably, walking on water that night. Then coming uh, to the other side of the lake the following day and teaching the crowds about who he is, the bread of life, the satisfaction of their souls, the answer to all of their longings. After those couple of days of teaching and miracles and signs, after this Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So that this, this just kind of sets up the context for the passage today. So Jesus is going about Galilee. Uh, that's in the countryside. He's not going to Judea. That's where Jerusalem, where the big city is, because he knows the Jews are there. That's where the religious leaders operate, and they are looking to kill him. And something that John says over and over again through his gospel, a constant ref- refrain, is that look, the, the Jews are trying to kill Jesus, but they can't. The Jews are trying to arrest Jesus but they can't. People are asking Jesus to do things, but he won't because his time has not yet come. Jesus knows he is inexorably on the way to the cross, but the time hasn't come yet for him to die. We pick up at chapter 7 today, and from here to the end of the gospel, 7 to 21, the last six months of Jesus' life. So John is mainly concerned, out of Jesus' 33 years, with the last six months, and in fact, chapter about 11 to 21 is the last week. So that 12 weeks that we do next year is looking at a week of Jesus' life. And as we come to the last week of Jesus' life this week, in in what's called Holy Week, leading up to Easter, that's most of John's Gospel is concerned with this week coming. And so heading into the last six months of Jesus' life, He is in Galilee. He doesn't want to go to Jerusalem just now because he knows 
that he is uh, going to be killed. He knows that the Jews want to get him. This happened particularly after chapter 5. If you've been here recently, uh, I wasn't here for this sermon, but Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, and the Jews said, this man is not only breaking the law, doing a work on the Sabbath, but he is equating himself with God, calling himself God. Therefore, he's a blasphemer. Therefore, he must die. And so from chapter 5 to the end of the gospel, they're out to get Jesus. So that's kind of the religious, political context that's going on. In addition to that, John says that it's the time of the Feast of Booths. So this is a, a religious festival for the Jews, big festival, big party. It was remembering uh, how God had provided for them in the wilderness, uh, in the exodus from Egypt into the promised land, and how he had provided tabernacles for them or booths or tents for them to live in. And so what would happen would be everyone from Israel, which wasn't a big country by the way, but um, everyone who called themselves an Israelite would make their way on a pilgrimage into Jerusalem and everyone who lived in Jerusalem would build on top of their houses these booths, these tents. And so the visitors to Jerusalem would live on these residence roofs for the time of the festival, each day going into the city to to party um, and to perform religious rites and rituals and so on. That was the Feast of Booths. So during this time, in the context of this chapter, Jerusalem is full of Israelites. They've come from everywhere. They're in the city. It's very busy. There's a lot going on. And because Israel isn't a big country, it's not a populous nation, Everyone knows about Jesus at this point. Everyone knows about who he is and everyone's talking about him. He's, like, he's trending number one on Twitter, all right? That's, he's, he, it's Jesus. Who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Have you heard about Jesus? He's teaching some crazy stuff. He's teaching some powerful stuff. He's teaching some incredible stuff. He's do, performing miracles that we've never seen before. Everyone's talking about him. So everyone's talking about Jesus, but the Jews are trying to kill Jesus. And so now I want to look at these five opinions about who Jesus is. The mutterings are going on, the whisperings are going on. No one wants to talk openly about Jesus because they're afraid the Jews will kill them too. But everyone's talking. And you've got five opinions about who Jesus is. So let's take a look. Verse 3 to 5. So Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And so the first view you've got here, the first opinion, is about Jesus, the good leader. Jesus as a good leader. And this was what his brothers kind of thought about him at this time. Uh, We don't know exactly how many brothers and sisters Jesus had, but we know he had them. And we definitely know about James and Jude. They were his younger brothers. They went on to be leaders in the church. They both penned a book of the Bible, James and Jude, that bear their names. So they went on to believe in Jesus. They went on to be leaders of the early church. They went on to be killed for their faith in the divinity of their own brother. But at this point, they don't believe in Jesus, John tells us. And so instead of saying, we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, let's worship you, Jesus, you are amazing, you are the Messiah, they say, listen, you look like you've got something about you. You look like you might be some kind of emerging leader. 
You might be able to do some good in this town. So listen, if you've got these gifts, if you've got this movement, if you've got this following, if you've got this influence, don't hide your lamp under a bushel, Jesus. Get into the city. Get under the spotlight. No one who wants to be known openly does these things in secret. Get into the city. Get a platform. Get a PR team. Get a marketing campaign. And so they see their brother as this kind of movement leader. Now here's the thing, and about most of these opinions, here's the thing. This is true. Jesus is a phenomenal leader. You can pick up books, whole books written about Jesus' leadership principles, his leadership secrets. He created a movement that has become the biggest movement in the history of the world, bar none, by a mile, before marketing, before Facebook, before Twitter. And so he has leadership. He has natural leadership influence. But that's not the reason he came. That's what he says to his brothers by way of reply. Now is not the time. I didn't just come to be some kind of leader. I didn't just come to create a movement. I didn't come to be famous. And he proves it in the last week of his life. Today, we uh, refer to today, the, the Sunday before Easter Sunday, as Palm Sunday. We remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem in the week that he was going to die. And how did he enter the city? With hundreds of followers praising him, but not on a war horse riding in as a king, but on a donkey riding in as a servant. He didn't come with the kind of fanfare and the kind of following to set him up as a king, though people wanted him to be the king. He came as a humble servant riding on a donkey. Likewise, on the night he was betrayed, right? This is going to be Thursday night. Sometimes called Maundy Thursday. We're going to call it the Last Supper, right? We're going to celebrate this on Thursday night. Talk more about this later. On that night, Jesus wasn't in the upper room with a map of Jerusalem you know, moving little men around, trying to figure out how to kick out the Jews and take the city for himself. He wasn't scheming about how to be a realized leader. He was washing his disciples' feet. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. So, yes, Jesus is a great leader, but he's not just a great leader, and his brothers didn't see that yet. They didn't believe in him. They didn't see the full picture. So there you go. Number one, Jesus, a good leader. Number two, Jesus, a good man. Verse 10 to 12. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. I think this is probably the most popular view of Jesus today, right? If you went out and surveyed Caroline Springs, the most popular view would probably be, yeah, Jesus is a good man. Here a lot of people say, I like Jesus, I just don't like Christianity. And I don't like Christians, I don't like the church, I don't like organized religion, but Jesus is okay. I like Jesus. He was a good man. And I sort of put him on the shelf with Gandhi Mother Teresa, Jonathan Smith. That backfired. 
Right? So Jesus, he's a good man. That's a common view. And here you have people in Jesus' day saying, yeah, he's a good man. He's done some good stuff. Have you seen? He, he healed that guy. He provided bread for people who are hungry. He's been teaching a lot about love and forgiveness. The problem with this view is that of all of these views, it's the most untenable view. This is what philosophers and theologians have said. Down the years, the one thing you can't say about Jesus is he was just a good man. And here's the reason. A good man, as C.S. Lewis said in his uh, little essay on the trilemma of who Jesus is, He said, a good man would not have said the things that Jesus said. A good man does not go around calling himself God unless he is God. If he is God, then he's more than just a good man. And if he's not God, then he's a liar and a deceiver. So you can't just call Jesus a good man and that's it. He doesn't give us that option. It's the one option, in fact, that you can't have, and it's the one option that most people hold. It's the one opinion that people stick to. But Jesus is not a good man unless he's the God-man. Jesus is not a good man unless he's so much more than that. Jesus is a deceiver, and he's deceived billions of people. That's not a good man. And so... You have Jesus, the good leader. You have Jesus, a good man. And then you have Jesus, a good liar. Verse 12 to 13. Some said he's a good man. Others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. He's leading people astray. Another way of translating that, he he is deceiving the people. He's not a good man, he's a deceiver, he's a liar, he's a good liar. And for these people, what they're referring to in particular is his teaching. He can't be deceiving people through his miracles because he's only serving people in performing those miracles. He's healing people, he's delivering people, he's serving them. It must be the content of his teaching that they're talking about. He's deceiving people about who God is and about who he is and about the nature of religion. He is deceiving them. He's leading them astray. He's talking about having a relationship with God by grace and not under law. He's deceiving them. Again, this is going to be a popular opinion if you ask around, right? No, it's just a bunch of lies. The whole Bible, it was just made up by someone somewhere back then. I haven't looked at it in any depth at all. I don't know any of the historicity of the Bible, but I'm pretty sure it was just made up by someone. Jesus is a liar. And everyone who believes in Jesus or even any religion is just being deceived. It's for old ladies who, want, you know, churches want to squeeze money out of them. We're going to do an update on our finances soon, by the way, and if this is a get-rich-quick scheme, we're, we're losing, all right? We need to try something else. So Jesus is a liar. He's a good liar. And the reason they believed this was, again, not because they took Jesus on face value, but because of their presuppositions about who Jesus should have been. If he's the Messiah, he won't be like this. 
if he's God in human flesh, then he wouldn't heal someone on the Sabbath. For example, chapter 5. He wouldn't have broken the law of Moses to heal someone. Jesus addresses this later in the passage. And he says to them, listen, if a baby turns eight days old on the Sabbath, you still circumcise him. His argument is, you still take off a little bit of his body. You with me? You know what circumcision is, right? You still treat a bit of his body and don't call it breaking the law. I healed a whole man on the Sabbath and you say, I'm a demon. It's their presuppositions that prevent them from seeing who Jesus is. The the Messiah wouldn't do this. We've got our set view about what God is like. It's as rigid as the law and this guy doesn't fit it. And this is exactly the same thing with people today, right? It's not about circumcision or Sabbath. Today, and I'm telling you, this is the number one thing I hear when I'm talking with people and sharing the gospel with people. The number one thing is, speaking from the perspective of someone who doesn't yet believe in Jesus, the presupposition is exclusive claims are wrong. Saying you have the truth to the exclusion of other people's truth is wrong. Jesus says that about himself, therefore he's wrong. He's deceiving us. You know, I've read John 14 and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, that can't be right. The presupposed position is that there are many ways to God and everyone's view is valid and you can't say anyone's wrong and, and, and tolerance means thinking everyone has the same amount of truth, right? And Jesus just said, no one comes to the Father but through me, so therefore he's a liar. By the way, in saying he's a liar, you've just completely contradicted your own point. That all truth is valid, okay? We won't get into that. But that's the presupposition. That's the main one. The exclusivity of Christ prevents people from seeing him as God, as Messiah, as reliable. He doesn't fit my understanding of the truth and therefore he must be a liar. Jesus' advice to you, if that's you this morning, Jesus' advice to these people in verse 24 He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He's just been talking about that whole Sabbath thing and how it doesn't fit their mould. What he's saying is, don't judge me by your presuppositions. Judge me with the right judgment. Judge me on my terms. Judge me on my teaching. Judge me on what you've seen of me. Judge me on the truth. Judge me on, like, I'm an open book. Judge me. Just don't come with all these preconceived ideas that make you close your ears to me before you've even listened. And so you've got Jesus, a good leader. Jesus, a good man. Jesus, a good liar. Jesus, a good teacher. Verse 14 and 15. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning? 
when he has never studied. So, for whatever reason, now the time has come for Jesus to make himself known at the feast. So he gets up in the temple, as was his custom. He gets up and he teaches, and everyone's just astonished. They can't believe the stuff that's coming out of this guy's mouth. How does he know this stuff? How does he teach with this authority, right? The words of Jesus are still, in the nomenclature of our society today, post-Christendom, post-church, post-religion, people still use the words of Jesus even when they don't know that they're the words of Jesus. They've become idiomatic. What he said was amazing. And these guys listened to him and said, how is this possible? He doesn't have any of the rabbinical teaching that we have. He hasn't been to theological college. The people who listened to Jesus in his day said, he's not like the scribes. The scribes just got up and read quotes from other people, right? They just got out the the Webster's Dictionary of Quotes and and read it out, and read some scripture, and it was boring as hell. And hell's really boring, okay? And Jesus got up and spoke with authority, with truth, and with power, and they were like, this guy hasn't even been to my school. How is he doing this? What they failed to do was connecting the power of what he said, the authority of what he said, with who he was as God in human flesh. Of course, when God speaks, the ground shakes. They failed to make that connection. Again, their presuppositions prevented them from seeing it. Who is this guy? He's a carpenter's son. He hasn't been to school. And yet he speaks with authority. Must be a good teacher. Maybe he's just naturally gifted. And again, people today will do the same thing with Jesus. Those who have taken the time to read the Gospels will say, clearly he's a good teacher. If you've studied any rhetoric, any public speaking, you'll see the way Jesus spoke, either in parables or in his preaching, was amazing, powerful. Had massive influence on its hearers and continues to do so today but they'll stop short of saying he's God. They'll stop short of saying he has the authority because he is the God who created all things and all people. And that's the one thing you can't do with Jesus' teaching. Once again, you cannot divorce the teaching of Jesus with the person of Jesus. You can't take away his divinity and still enjoy his teaching. You can't enjoy the quality of what he said without First, understanding who he was. The two hang together. You can't have one without the other. I remember when I was in high school, I think it was, I I remember learning that at the time there was all this debate about whether Shakespeare really wrote Shakespeare, right? There was all these theories about that he had a ghostwriter, that there were a multiplicity of writers, that he just kind of grabbed everyone else's writing, it kind of Brothers Grimm style and put it under his name. And uh, so there's all this debate that no one's ever heard about, probably, um, but, but about who, who wrote Shakespeare. And here's the thing. At, at the end of the day, it makes absolutely no difference. Right? There might be some curiosity there about the historicity of the writings or whatever, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make any difference who wrote them. 
A Midsummer Night's Dream is still a Midsummer Night's Dream without Shakespeare, okay? Right? His plays stand on their own. It doesn't matter who he is. That's not the case with Jesus. You cannot divorce his teaching from his person. You cannot take away his teaching from who he is as God in human flesh. They hang together. And so, again, this morning, if you're looking for an opinion to take up about who Jesus is, you can't have that one. You can't have that G- the, the, the kind of view that Jesus is just a good teacher. He says himself, verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. This is not just an earthly human teaching. This comes from the one who sent me. The one who sent me as his son into the world. This comes from God or it's nothing. This comes from God or it's worthless. So don't make Jesus to be some kind of guru to add to your list of kind of self-help teachers. He's not that. He's God or he's nothing. So you've got Jesus, he's a good leader, he's a good man, he's a good liar, he's a good teacher. Or he's just a madman. He's just crazy. Verse 19 and 20. Take a look with me. Jesus says, Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? You remember Jerusalem is filled with people from all over Israel at this point. And so while most people knew who Jesus was and that people were out to kill him, that's why they weren't speaking openly, there are obviously a bunch of people who didn't know. And so they look at Jesus, they hear him say, you guys are trying to kill me, and they're like, you're crazy, man. Like, you're you're self-obsessed, you're narcissistic. Who's trying to kill you? You're always on about yourself. You've got a demon. Again, this is a view that's held today. Jesus was crazy. He was a lunatic. We've heard about these people. We've seen them in recent history. People go around and say, I'm God, everyone. And then they gather 30 or 40 people and gas them all or burn them all down or give them injections or get them to drink cordial, right? And then everyone dies. And we say, ah, there's another madman. There's another guy with a God complex. There's another narcissist who takes other people down with him. And people will say that about Jesus today. But in this case, he's way over the top crazy. He's demon-possessed. He is a complete nutter. He hasn't taken down 30, 40, 50 people in a barn along with him. He's taken down millions of people over 2,000 years. He is insane. And here's the thing, right? That's a logical view. You can't say he was a good man. You can't say he was just a good teacher. But you can say he was crazy. That's logical. If you don't believe he's God, then yeah, he's crazy. He is crazy. He went around saying he was God. We know, like we give people like that Names and and places to live forever. With padded walls, right? He was crazy. He was demon-possessed. He was mental. 
if he wasn't God. So yes, if you come across someone who says Jesus was deluded, Jesus was a lunatic, then you should say, that is a fair opinion. That is logical. At least you're not one of those people who just think he was good. Or some kind of prophet or guru. The problem with the view is that it's absolutely, entirely, completely inconsistent with everything we know about Jesus. What kind of madman speaks with the white-hot clarity that Jesus spoke with? With the entirely sane, well-thought-through, intelligent genius that Jesus spoke with? You won't find a madman who speaks with that kind of clarity, that kind of piercing wit. What kind of madman leads a movement of millions of people over thousands of years? Like, wouldn't we just eventually get it, that he was insane? We've done that with just about every other leader who was insane. Do you remember Adolf Hitler? He ended up in a ditch on fire, all right? And, and, okay, yeah, he was crazy. Oh, and the killing 7 million Jews thing, that was pretty crazy too. Jesus doesn't fit any of that. You guys are a tough crowd this morning. Hitler jokes? Nothing? All right. Jesus is clearly not insane. Everything we know about him, and there is more historical uh, evidence for Jesus than just about every other person in human history. And clearly he's not insane. Bertrand Russell, one of the greatest uh, philosophers of the 20th century, who was also an atheist, said that, well, he didn't believe in Christianity. In In fact, this was an essay titled, Why I'm Not a Christian. But he said, if everyone lived as Jesus lived, thought as Jesus thought, then the world would be paradise. Just think about that. If everyone lived and thought as madmen lived, as demon-possessed people lived, that, that's not paradise, that's craziness. And yet he, as an atheist, as an eminent philosopher, knew that Jesus was entirely sane and in his right mind. So then you have to deal with the things that he said. And that's what we encourage you to do here week by week and in your small groups through the week. Come to terms with what Jesus actually said. And so there are your five opinions this morning. He's a good leader, he's a good man, he's a good liar, he's a good teacher. I couldn't get good out of madmen, so yeah, he's just a madman. He's just crazy. So this morning I want to ask you, where are you with this? We're talking a lot about who is Jesus, what's your answer? If you came in this morning thinking, well, yeah, he's a good guy or he's a good teacher, we've, we've discussed this, there's no logical way for you to hold that belief. So you've got to go to something else. Is he crazy? I don't know, take a look at it yourself. I, I think you'll find that he's not. I think you'll find that he's really, really not. Was he just a good leader? Well, he said himself that's not why he came. At every opportunity, he tried to shut that view down. He shunned the limelight. He turned away from those who wanted to make him king. Palm Sunday, Maundy Thursday, we remember Jesus' servant-heartedness. And so who is Jesus? What options do you have left? This morning I just want to encourage you, particularly those of you who are 
not yet Christians or those of you who have been doubting where you, where you are with Jesus, who is he? I want to encourage you to, with an open mind, think about these things. Think about who Jesus is. I want you to judge him on his own terms. Judge him on his own teaching, on his own way of life. Remember, that's exactly what he said to the Jews who would discount the fact that he could be God because he healed someone on Sabbath. He said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And in verse 17, there is this great promise for you this morning if you are seeking to know more about Jesus. A really great promise. Everyone look right at me now. Jesus makes a promise to you, and I know it for a fact that it's absolutely true, that it's trustworthy. Verse 17, he says, If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching, Jesus' teaching, is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Let me paraphrase that. If anyone is desiring to know who Jesus is, who God is, they want to do God's will, they want to know who he is, what he's on about, then Jesus just says, just start walking with me. Just start doing God's will. Just start finding out more about me. Walk with me as a disciple and you will know very quickly whether I'm legit or not. He gives you a free pass to judge him. He just says, don't come with preconceived ideas. Just walk with me. Read about me. Listen to me. And make your own judgment. You'll know if I'm a liar. Jesus said himself, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Right? A thorn bush doesn't produce figs. You'll know a tree by its fruit. You'll know me by what you find out about me. Just don't come with your prejudices and your biases. I think for, for many of us, we're not sure about Jesus. We don't know if he's trustworthy. We don't know if he is who he says he is. You're not willing to take my word for it, which is completely fair enough. But we never take the step of walking with him and finding out who he is. It's a little bit like when you're, you're wondering if you should go out with a girl or a boy, okay? I remember when I first kind of noticed Renee and, um, and I was, you know, checking her out and um, I was thinking about whether I should kind of ask her out and, and I've been burned, right, in the past. Well, get your violins out, just burn badly and so a bit, bit of uh, self-protection kicking in and um, and so I, I went to my, uh, one of my best friends at the time and I said, uh, um, Guy, I'm, uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking about um, going out with a girl. And he was like, yep, Renee, next question. He's like, oh, okay. Um, I have been hiding it too well. And, uh, and I said, I just don't know. I don't know if she's right for me. You know, like, I, I'm, uh, I'm a little bit scared about this and... Um, and, uh, and I'm 20, so, you know, the clock's ticking. And, um, and, and so he asked me some really important questions. He, he said, uh, he said, you know, do you enjoy spending time with her? I said, I just have the, the most fun in the world when I'm around her. When I can get near her, that's the most fun I have. He's like, right, that's a good start. And, and he said, uh, are you willing to commit to her? Are you willing to commit, you know, just, just to being with her? And I was like, because <clears throat> uh, oh, uh, I was an idiot, right? And, um, 
I was like, yeah, no, yes, I am. I will. If I go out with her, I'll, I'll commit to her and, and I won't mess around with anyone else, okay? And he's like, good, good answer. And, and then he said, she's got a boyfriend, um, so are you willing to fight for her? And I was like, yeah, I'll, no probs. Um, I got this one. And, um, and I was right. And, uh, and, and then the last question he asked was, do you find her attractive physically? Which is a good question, fair question. And I said, she's, I, think she's, I think she's hot with two T's. <laughs> and so he said, well, right, so, so what's stopping you? And I said, I just, I don't know. I want to be sure before I do it. And, and he said, you won't know. You won't know until you try. You won't know until you engage with her. You won't know until you give it a shot. And he was exactly right. And so I did. And then I did. And we got married. For many people, they just won't know who Jesus is until they start walking with him. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, you can try before you buy. You can try before you buy. You can belong to this church before you believe in Jesus. We encourage you. encourage you to come along each week. I know we do weird stuff. That's okay. You're going to hear about Jesus. You're going to be able to test us out. Jesus said that you will know who I am by my disciples. And so that puts a great responsibility on us as a church to live like Jesus so that we can display who Jesus is to people. I don't know if that uh, boyfriend-girlfriend thing really hit home with you, so I've got one other illustration just in my pocket in case that didn't work. Obviously, none of you guys actually had to pursue a woman. Um, and so, here's, here's what it's like again. I want you to imagine that you've got someone born in the 17th century. It's like a, a, a I was going to mention an 80s movie reference, it's not going to go down. Anyway, you've got someone from the 17th century, and, uh, and you're going up to Coles, and you say to him, when you're still 20 feet off, if you just walk up to that glass pane, it will open for you and you can walk on through. He would say to you, that's crazy, right? That's not how doors work. You've got to push them, okay, or pull them. Doors don't just open unless you're a magician. And you say to him, no, 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 seriously, this is a new thing. We invented it. It's an automatic door. If you walk to it, it will open. I think that's the case. That's, that's how people feel about Jesus very often. Now, friends, family, co-workers who don't know him, they feel like Jesus is a locked door. They feel like God's playing hide and seek, that he's hidden, that there's no way of knowing him, that there's all these different ideas about who God is, and so there's never any point even finding out. It's too much work. It's just too confusing. And what you need to tell them is that, that's, that God is not hiding from you. God is seeking and saving the lost. God has given us this life to come to know him, and he is eager for us to know him. And all we need to do is walk up to that door and it will open for us. Jesus said last week that he will not cast out anyone who comes to him. You'll never walk up to the door and it stays shut. And when that happens, it's really embarrassing. You're just going to pretend that you're kind of looking through the window or something. It will never do that. It will never jam. It will open for everyone who comes to him. 
And so this morning, if you're here and you're, just, you're not, not, not sure about who Jesus is, then walk to the door. Engage that girl in a relationship. Walk with Jesus and you'll find out who He is. He makes you that promise. And if in a few months' time you think Jesus was crazy, then that's fine. What we believe at this church is that Jesus is self-authenticating. The cream really does rise to the top. You will see Jesus to be the incredible God in human flesh that He said He was. And that's our prayer for you. If that's you this morning, then once a year we run a course called the Alpha Course where we just invite you to come along with your presuppositions, with your biases, with your arguments, and we'll just present Jesus for you in a really open and easy way. We'll start uh, advertising that soon. In the meantime, come along on Sunday. We always talk about Jesus, as Jimmy said. Come to one of our midweek small groups. You can join them at the Connect desk on your way out, fill out a form, and we'll get you plugged in. All of these ways are designed so that you can come to terms with who Jesus said he was on his terms. And so I'm going to pray that that's the case for us now. Let's, let's pray to God and ask for his help because we need it. Father, I thank you that you've made yourself known to us. You're not some kind of mysterious God hiding, hiding yourself from us. But you're here with us and you've given us your word which reveals everything we need to know about you. That in our church we've got dozens and dozens of copies of that book that you've made available to us that we can take freely and learn more about who you are. I thank you that you've given us a vision here to openly and clearly communicate the truth. And I thank you that you've given us the privilege of having people here every week who don't yet know who you are. Lord, save us from coming up with anything condescending like Jesus is a good man, Jesus is a good teacher, Jesus is a good leader. Save us from damning him with faint praise. Help us to, with an open heart, open mind, come to your word and find out who he is in reality. And I pray this morning that as we've seen over the last months and years, that you would bring more people to know and love and trust Jesus. That the purpose of John's book would be realized, that we would come to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we would have salvation in his name. And we pray these things in Jesus' good, good name. Amen. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au.